Welcome, one and all, to Project Ecology, episode 48. Today, we will, again, be the only podcast where you do not need to enter the Upside Down to listen to. You heard that right, you can listen to it just fine from the upside, you know, like Hawkins. So, my name is Dakota, and I'm joined, as always, with... Anthony, on the upside. Yes. I like it. I like it. All right, so we're going to be talking about the final two episodes of season four of Stranger Things, uh, but we got other stuff that we're going to be jumping into. Before we jump into any of that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys what I've been up to recently. I've got a lot of projects that I'm working on, and I've just been having a lot of fun with it. I have recently jumped back into Avatar The Last Airbender, Mm. like in a major way. You know how I do the MCU timeline stuff. I, I, you know, make notes on all the timeline information for every individual episode of shows and stuff. I'm doing that for Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm going to read every one of the canon novels. I'm going to read any every one of the graphic novels. And I'm going to make a massive timeline for the Avatar The Last Airbender universe. You know, going from this Avatar to this Avatar to this Avatar. You know, Kiyoshi, Yang Chen, Korra, Aang. But, you know, in order, obviously. That's, that's not chronological. So we're going to jump into that in the coming weeks and months on my end on Geek Critique. So I'm really excited about that. I've been, you know, going episode by episode and I'm pretty much done with book one of Avatar. And then obviously I'll go into book two and three and then I'll jump into Korra and then I'll start going back through the comics. But I recently read The Dawn of Yang Chen, which is the third book of the Chronicle of the Avatar series Mm. by author F.C.E. And it's such an interesting read because, you know, you, you have all these visions and ideas of like what these different avatars are like based on future avatars, like looking back to them, you know, like when it comes to Kiyoshi, Aang has all these ideas ideas that like she's this like really angry woman she has you know like she she has problems she's gonna like kill people um but she's really not like that and then she has visions of yang chen before her uh, of this like you know pristine person who has never done anything wrong but that's not what yang chen is actually like according to this novelist so it's it's really about like breaking the mold in this series of you know like what these individual avatars are like so i'm really excited about that as far as everything else I don't think I've been up to anything else recently. Just watching random shows, reading random comics. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much it. I know you've been up to a lot on your end, so I'm going to lead over to you. I'm gonna, uh, as you go, I'm going to ask you questions about what you experienced, you know, at the con or whatever, but go ahead and introduce Definitely. Introduce what you got to say. Actually, you know, before I get into my stuff, I think it's an appropriate time that you're diving into the Avatar stuff. I was just saying the other day that I wanted more Avatar content. So the Avatar The Last Airbender is one of my favorite cartoons, if not my favorite cartoons. This is something that I had been singing its praises since high school. I was watching it in high school during its original run and it was really cool when it came onto Netflix and everybody finally got to see it. It had been on Netflix before, actually years ago. This was the perfect storm. This time around. It was the first. Yeah, it kind of gave it like a resurgence. Because of COVID, everyone was indoors. Yeah. And that's right. Everyone had, everyone needed stuff to binge on Netflix or whatever. So when that dropped, everybody and their moms was watching it. And then 
uh, and then Korra afterwards, and there was a huge resurgence to the point where the creators of the show, uh, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konetsko, decided that they were going to start their own studios because they have so much more to tell with different eras of the Avatar. So Avatar Studios came out of that, and they're currently working on three feature-length films. The first being a uh, uh, Avatar Aang and his crew, but like as young adults instead of teenagers. And when you think about it, the Avatar universe was actually set up perfectly to be explored. There's so much to it that you can do, down to the places, the animals, Yes, there's the different incarnations of the Avatar. The Avatar is almost like the Doctor from Doctor Who. There's mm -hmm. different incarnations. Although every Avatar is a different person, they're all connected to the fact that they are the Avatar and they're connected to their past Avatars. So I think that that's just a really cool universe. And like I said, the, the world is just so magical. I mean, we, we have an episode about Avatar The Last Airbender that everybody can listen to. We have two episodes. If you haven't yet. We have two episodes. Yes, yes. We have two episodes. We have like a non-spoiler. So it, if you haven't seen it yet and you want a non-spoiler take on it, then there's that episode for you. But if you have seen it and you want our insight on it, we have a spoiler episode. Dakota and I will definitely dive into The Legend of Korra. That's just something that we're going to have to because we both love the Avatar universe and we have thoughts on it. And then, and then we're going to tell you them thoughts. You know, the, the Netflix series is coming out probably first or second quarter of next year. So because they're pretty much done with the the actual principal photography of it. So they're they're just in the back end now. So we're, we're getting close to seeing some uh, fresh footage of a live action Avatar The Last Airbender. So I'm excited to see, I'm tentatively excited to see because I think they're in the right headspace in terms of like where they are in terms of creating it. So I'm excited about that, but I'm nervous that it's just gonna be another, you know, M. Night Shyamalan flop. Oh my goodness, it's funny that you say that because in my mind, I was literally about to say, hopefully they get his name right. They don't call him Ong. Uh, I, I think they're in the right headspace. They're actually like... I mean, honestly, I am tentative also because of that, really what went down between the creators and Netflix. So hopefully they've learned from their successful shows and their, their unsuccessful shows and they respect the source material. The source material is already amazing. You don't have to do anything crazy with it. It's already there. Just follow it, and then if there's some sort of liberty that you want to take, make sure that it's not a liberty that spits in the face of just how amazing this show is. And at the end of the day, even if the if, even if the live action show doesn't live up to the animated series, we'll always have the animated series. But we yes. we also have a lot more Avatar content coming forward and down the pipe because they have so many stuff or so much stuff that they're working on. Yeah, so I've 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 been really into the Avatar stuff, and I actually found a podcast. You know, not to take listenership away from our podcast, but Nickelodeon has their own podcast called Avatar: Braving the Elements where they have the voices of Avatar Korra and Prince Zuko from, you know, Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender, respectfully. And they, they go episode by episode 
and just break down. So they start with the boy in the iceberg, then they'll interview like the creators of the show, and then they'll do the second episode, the Avatar Returns, and so on and so forth. So I'm, it's a really interesting dynamic because they're giving a fresh take on you know like what it was like actually doing some of the filming or doing some of the recording, and like bringing behind the scenes knowledge to a show that everyone loves. So it's it's worth it to check out if you want to listen to more podcasts after this. But you better stick around for this one because it's going to be really good. Yes, I agree. Uh, we did say that we were talking about Stranger Things Volume 2, you know, the second part, but we're actually going to be talking about Avatar this episode. No, <laughs> Wait, really? Uh, I got so much to say. <laughs> I hijacked it. But yeah, so if you're interested in hearing more about our thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender, go check that episode out. And I have actually seen that episode. I mean, I actually have seen that podcast that you're talking about, Dakota. I just haven't really had the time to sit down and give it a listen but I do want to. And it's actually really cool because I have been seeing Dante Bosco, which is the the voice for Zuko. He's actually been making rounds in uh, different conventions. He was in the one in Orlando called Megacon, and he was actually also at this one in uh, Miami called Supercon, which I'm going to be talking a lot more about right now. Jump into it, let's go. So Florida Supercon is a convention, it's in Miami Beach, Florida, and it kind of jumps around as far as dates. This year it was July 8th through the 10th. Last year it was in September, so the space between last year and this year was pretty short. But it's actually really cool. This year I feel like I've been really just in this convention mode. I went to one in January called Otaku Fest, which I submitted uh, press passes for. So. Fingers crossed that we get that and we'll I'll cover that convention also in this upcoming January. And and so Florida Supercon, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm I'm just gonna kinda get some of the the bads out of the way so I can talk more about the goods. I came into this convention feeling a little nervous because I wasn't sure if it was gonna be good or not. They literally had a few people drop at the last minute. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, they had um, some celebrities drop at the last minute. Uh, one being Freddie Prince Jr., which I was a little sad because, I, like, I kind of wanted to meet him because you know he's our, our boy in Rebels. Yeah. Jim Lee, he was supposed to be there. I actually really wanted to meet Jim Lee because Jim Lee, his art j- is just—he's drawn, especially like Batman. He's done a lot, but his Batman is something that lives in my mind when i think of the comic book version right of that. it lives it lives rent free on anyone who's read like rent free uh, who's ever, anyone who's ever read like a dc comic book his visual stamp is so synonymous with dc currently even though he's not necessarily like an artist today so much because he's more on like the producer side of dc at this point but his style has like transcended into how other people draw you know these characters so it's super influential right and so i was pretty upset about that that he dropped off i wanted to see him like i actually wanted to meet him because i'm thinking i mean you've seen in my room that i have that that jim lee batman and the nightwing that little yeah yeah the classic yeah the classic cover yeah yeah so that made me a little nervous i was like okay these people are kind of dropping off and to begin with there wasn't really too many major names that were in it there were some voice actors and some actors that were in there florida supercon seemed to pale in comparison when it came to megacon megacon just really blew me away 
I hadn't really gone to MegaCon in, in many, many years. And so just thinking, just coming into this convention, I was like, like, oh my gosh, like they have these people dropping off. There's really not many, you know, big names. But as far as going into these conventions, I find ways to enjoy myself, even if there's not really that many named talent there so what's the big draw for conventions for you because i know when i go to new york comic-con i don't really care so much about who the guests are per se as much as i would care about like the con floor and the individual panels and everything that everyone goes through so i would say that the guests do matter for me because that means that we're gonna we should be getting a panel from them you know okay that makes sense yeah so if you're getting a whole bunch of voice actors say from overwatch you know that there's going to be an overwatch panel they're going to be talking about overwatch and even maybe even reveal stuff for the upcoming overwatch too i'm just using it as an example also another reason i had people that i had planned on going with but their plans kind of fell through so most of the weekend i was actually by myself covering the convention but but i actually bumped into some people that i I didn't expect like from high school or people that i had worked with in the past so it's i really wasn't by myself because i had those people and i talked to a lot of a lot of the artists a lot of there's just so much stuff that you can see at conventions and just when you thought that you've seen everything they'll prove you wrong and so uh i so i did buy a couple things there was this really so there's this cool person that i had met uh, he was one of the the people that had a, a stall. He was in Artist Alley, so he was one of the um, exhibitors. And I have a heart for people who they want. They're trying to do something within you know entertainment, whether it's you know books or art. And I applaud them because I mean you're really just putting your heart out there, and people are just examining it, you know. And um, one that that uh kind of give him a, a shout out and uh he's actually given us a listen and stuff too is uh somebody named john paul amaya and he has this book and it's kind of set up as like a script but it's almost like an anime as far as like the cover and whatnot and it's called adventure start it's really cool because it kind of reminds me of when i read through cursed child you know because you're reading a script okay. yeah 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 and uh they actually had a reading of it on the on twitch which was actually pretty cool so i had spoken to him and he was really really cool and i spoke to a whole bunch of different artists and you know kind of got connected with them and pretty much put them onto the podcast and what we're about but i had met a lot of really really cool people i actually bought and i think i sent you a picture i bought a a bottle opener and it's the kingdom key from kingdom hearts oh yeah you did send me a picture that that looked really cool and so i thought it was cool because the person who made these or the person who has these bottle openers made he doesn't want them to look like obvious bottle openers so that's why he situates them in the way that he does Mm. And so I thought that was really cool. One thing I love about cons, and maybe you'll back me up on this, is that when you're on the show floor, when you're in Artist Alley, you can pretty much find whatever you're looking for, or in terms of like fandom, you know? Exactly. Um, There's, whether you're looking for a specific character on a t-shirt, or you're looking for uh, Ocarina or something, or you're looking for some original comic book art or whatever you're looking for, what's really cool about you know comic-con and super cons and other stuff is the uh, is the abundance of stuff on the show floor that you can just peruse and it's almost like a mall designed for you 
Right. And the cool thing is, is that especially with a lot of the artists, is that even if they don't have what you want, a lot of them take commissions. That's a good point. I've never done that personally, but that's cool. That's cool. I have not either, but I may in the future. But it's actually cool because since I have been going to so many different conventions, I have actually bumped into artists that I've seen at these different conventions and we like remember each other like hey i remember you like oh hey yeah how how have you been yeah it's so cool because conventions literally anybody can go but you can establish kind of your own community and that's kind of been what these florida conventions have been for me is that a lot of these people they'll come in and even people from like out of town they i'll meet them at these different conventions and i'm like i'm like hey man i remember you in, in uh this convention I, I didn't know that you were going to be down here like living it like from like chicago or like um one guy i think he was from like georgia and he had gone down to all these different conventions down here in in florida so i thought that was really cool one thing that i got recently at um last year's new york comic-con was this three-piece arts art like three-piece poster so it's like one big poster cut into into threes so you have to like get each individual framed but it's a really cool concept because he basically takes popular moments in pop culture or fiction and draws them in the style of ancient samurai art so i have a picture of mandalorian of like him and the child walking through the streets of Navarro City and you have like all the bounty hunters trying to like you know take him down I think it's like episode three or four of the original season of Mandalorian so it basically takes that concept and turns it into ancient samurai art and it's really just it's one of the coolest pieces that I've ever bought at a con and I'm so happy I did I I wish I had the artist's name offhand, but uh, I'll send a picture to you soon yeah, that's awesome. I definitely love to see that. But yeah, so, you know, Florida Supercon, it, it's fun, but I will say that I'm a little disappointed that they're owned by ReadPop. ReadPop, they have the resources, they run the convention that you're about to go to in October, NYCC. You would think that, okay, we have a convention that's in Miami Beach. What can we do to kind of spruce this thing up? And. I just hope that they're not trying to kind of run it down to where they just don't, you know, they don't justify having it at all, you know? I mean, last year they had Hayden Christensen, which was pretty cool. I wanted to get an autograph from him, but that was, now, do you <laughs> it think, was a little too expensive. Do you think that that's their plan is to run it down to the ground? Because I, that would be the worst business strategy of all time. I What I find interesting, and you, you'll probably have a firsthand experience with this, most of these conventions aside from three or four are big news circuit conventions so you have the big one san diego comic-con everyone looks forward to san diego comic-con every july because big news from all the different media groups and organizations and companies comes out you know this past uh, san diego comic-con we had uh, a little bit of news trickle out of like warner brothers but on the marvel front it was you know uh, a flood right. you know they they announced like right, 15 titles. right but when it comes to other stuff like new york comic-con that's more tv oriented i've noticed they they do a lot of like trailers for tv and not news about that in terms of right. comic-con and then in brazil they have ccrp or ccxp or something like that a lot of dc news comes out of there because brazil just loves dc comics for whatever reason and WonderCon sometimes you get some news out of there but other than that, other than those four, you don't really get 
much new news from these individual like smaller right cons. like i've never heard of anything coming out of uh supercon that you know will like make the news for the day or whatever right right so do you think they need to spread so them gonna, up a little bit or do you think that this is just a different experience so it's funny um i don't think you've been to a normal convention have you i've only been to the comic cons i've been to an I, to be honest no I've, i went to an anime expo in cal in uh in la but that was years ago i think anime expo is actually pretty big at least like now it is it was anime expo is like pretty well known it was now. pretty big it was pretty big but um i don't remember there i don't i honestly i don't remember much it was my first ever con so which is which is cool i mean aside from i mean was that your first con no i went to wizard wizard uh wizard con back well i consider blizzcon being a pretty big con blizzcon i went to the i think it was the first or second blizzcon it was 2007 i think it was 2007 good old days that that was like like i said i know you're busy let's get some uh some content going for uh for at least uh world of warcraft classic because lich is coming out in next month oh cool wrath of the lich king and i think that that was like prime world of warcraft so yeah for sure that was a good time all right so Bat, what do you think is going on with uh supercon and these smaller conventions so these smaller conventions i don't expect a lot of big news to come out of them and so a lot of the smaller conventions it just really boils down to to budget the the otaku fest that's a small time convention so if i mean if they even have like any actor or voice actor that i even know i'd be like oh wow that's cool they got them but with miami uh florida supercon has been around for a while and i've been around where they've had good rosters of people and that was actually when it was owned by you know whoever it was that owned florida supercon beforehand before reed pop had bought them and to be fair reed pop has only had them i think for a couple years because they bought them in 2019 and then right after that covid hits and so we've only really gotten two of them but like last year other than Hayden Christensen, I had noticed a little bit of the change in the, the quality of it. And it's not that it's a low quality. It just seems to be a tad, you know, neglected. And like I said, I don't I don't expect there to be huge news to be coming out of this. That That's what San Diego Comic-Con's for, uh, even NYCC. But I will say that, I, I guess for me, I like it when a convention has a good draw capacity because then that means that you're going to get a more there's going to be more different types of people that come so if you had you know you had Hayden Christensen and, and whatnot coming in so I was just feeling that some of these smaller ones get a little or at least Florida Supercon can feel a little neglected I like anything that draws in just more guests because then that means that more people will want to come in and i think that for me the biggest draw of going to a convention is the people the cosplayers the artists you know the just the different various stores that come in it's really cool the the type of people that you meet and the things that you see and that's my favorite thing overall i still had a really good time at florida supercon maybe not because of you know the guests that came in but really more so the people that i met people that i connected with the different things that they had there dude they had like this whole room that had a bunch of gaming consoles and uh gaming computers and like you could just go over there and play with your friends they had n64s dude like just everything that's cool and 
one of these that's days, one of the things that i wanted to do yeah one of these days we got to get you saddled up with like a nice uh interview kit so that you can do yes. some interviews for the podcast and you know talk to people about what makes them tick or like why they keep doing what they're doing and you know talk about the the craft of what they're working on and maybe link to some of those people online that'd be really fun i think you know that'd be cool i mean if you wanted to do something like that for uh nycc that'd be cool i mean you could talk a little bit about nycc when you come through uh, well, whenever we record yeah, yeah, yeah. around that time that you go. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll figure that out. But we'll, we'll stick to Supercon for now. And so, yeah, like I said, it's just the, the small things that I really enjoyed. I still found a way to enjoy myself there, even though I didn't really have anybody there. I had some friends come through. I had a friend that came in like really just one of the days, even though he planned on going the whole weekend. And so, yeah, like I said, I spent most of my time kind of just wandering around looking and I, I, I bought a couple things, the bottle opener that, that I told you about. And I actually bought, that's where I bought my first pair of uh, D&D dice. Ooh. And that was actually what kind of drove me forward into uh, finally starting to play D&D, uh, which I'll talk a little bit after after uh, the Supercon discussion. So yeah, overall, Supercon was a fun experience. I enjoyed it. I will say that so far this year, the best convention I've gone to is Megacon. And hopefully in the, the upcoming future, Supercon kind of like picks it up a little bit now that... Is, um, is the venue big enough? Too... Is the venue big enough in Supercon for it to be a better convention? It's pretty big in size. Like they yeah. don't use the full venue. Oh, okay. It's, you know, like a lot of these convention centers. So... I don't know. So you haven't really gone to some of these other conventions, but a lot of them go, are in these giant places that almost look like airplane hangars. They're convention centers, yeah. You, you, right. They're meant to like hold multiple conventions, yeah. Right, right. And so not not the entirety of these venues are completely filled, you know, to the brim with things to do. And I do. I, I just think that as far as content, they could do a little bit better. Okay, but I will not say that it wasn't fun. I did have a good time, and it's always cool to check out the side stuff in the conventions. You know, I'm used to the main exhibition floor and really just seeing the main things. But there's tons of random stuff that you can walk into in uh, the rooms that they have in the convention centers. Uh, there's people that were playing D and D there. There's people playing board games. You know, Yu Gi Oh, Pokemon, uh, panels of different random things. You know, it's really really fun. So I, I got to check a little bit more of that stuff out. I, I actually made that a point this year to kind of do that a little bit more. Although I didn't really do that at Megacon, I did that at Otaku Fest. So overall, I had a good time. Uh, I would, I'm hoping that maybe next year is a little bit better, but we'll see. I would love to go to Megacon next year also, maybe cover that in uh, in, in an upcoming podcast. But so so yeah, that, that's a little bit of my thoughts on, on Supercon. Hopefully maybe one year you can come down Dakota and then it'll be both you and I uh, covering the convention and you get to see what a normal convention is like or a smaller convention is like. Yeah, maybe for next year's NYCC, we'll have a big, uh, I'll get some press passes for that hopefully. Oh, that would be cool. I'd love to join y'all again. Yeah, maybe uh, for some 
Geek Critique slash Project Ecology concert. Yeah, that'd yeah, be, yeah. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be great, yeah. Um, so you you mentioned that you got some D&D dice. I've, I've played D&D on and off for a couple of years now. Jen actually plays a lot more than I do um, because she has a D&D group with uh, her old colleagues from work um, that she's been pretty consistent with for, you know, on and off for about two years. Oh, wow. So you just started up a campaign, right? Yes, yes, I did. Um, I found a, a group of people. There's really so many different ways that you can find a group to play D&D with. Like, I mean, there's literally all sorts of ways. There's a Roll20, there's something called Start Play, um, there's Discord groups. And, you know, for those that don't have groups around them, people that they know to connect with to play D&D. And so, you know, I found a group where we're going through the, it's like the latest adventure book. It's called Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Mm. And okay, so, I've, I've actually seen it, yeah. And so, yeah, we're going through that. And it's interesting because I'm learning the fundamentals. I'm, I'm still trying to understand it. But as a gamer, I really enjoy it because I've played so many different types of role-playing games and this one takes it up a notch because you can play a role-playing game but there's still limitations the most advanced and most versatile customizable role-playing games can't really even touch anywhere near what dungeons and dragons does because you can literally do anything yeah i was true. talking to my friend the other day and he's got a group going and he said that they that they do these they go through a main uh, quest but right now they're doing a whole bunch of different like little side quests and they that him and his group of people literally like bought a tavern you know like it's just yeah you know ran random things happen in D, &D Some, you know? sometimes you can get away with so much fun stuff just by negotiation or you know just charisma or whatever one time i was using um an orphan character like he was a little orphan i forget i, I don't even remember his race i just remember <laughs> he had a rat a pet rat and for whatever reason, I decided, and we were scabbers. I didn't call it scabbers. No, should have. But we ended up facing off against giant rats. And for whatever reason, I decided I was going to use my little pet rat as a weapon, and I threw it at the at the head of one of the the rats in front of me. And I rolled a nat twenty. So like you have a twenty sided die, and yeah. it's up to the the game master or the dungeon master to determine what happens when you roll certain things if you get a one then it's obviously a miss you you, you get nothing if you get a 20 yeah. it's like above and beyond what could possibly happen in a normal situation so while i was throwing my pet rat at this giant rat <laughs> i i rolled a nat 20 and it turned out that i i threw it so hard it went right through the rat's skull <laughs> Oh my! And you know, it's gosh. it's it's part of the yeah. discretion of it's. It, it was just a good time, you know. And it's just like stuff like that that you could never do in a video game because there's no rules for that. But with the power of yeah. imagination, with the power of you know rolling die and trying to figure out like what is possible with the characters and the sets and right, know, the, right. the enemies' limitations and powers, whatever. It, it just so happens that sometimes crazy stuff can happen, and that's part of the fun of it right right it, yeah and with video games you can have the most creative imagination but what happens within the game 
really just goes as far as what has been programmed into the game. Right. And you can even do things that are procedurally generated, but it's still that's that system's not perfect. I mean, it's gotten better, but still, it, there's a lot that you can't you you just can't do it. Even procedural generation is limited. Well, yeah, it's limited by the boundaries that are set by what is coded into the program. You know, exactly. If with something like Dungeons and Dragons, it's only limited by the person's imagination or the imagination of the group playing the game. So exactly, yeah, it's it's really really fun. I've been enjoying it so far. We've gotten in a, a few sessions already. Right now, our group is we're investigating this squabble between these two food stalls that's in the night market of that city, and so we're trying to solve what it is. My character is a wood elf rogue, and so I kind of just like like I picked the race. I was like, okay, I like I think wood elf sounds cool, and I kind of want to do a rogue because I didn't want to do a caster because there's a lot involved with casting that I'm just not comfortable with yet. I just want to understand the game first before I start making a caster. Yeah, for sure. And so it's really cool because I've I've actually been able to do a lot of stealth stuff so far and I haven't I haven't rolled a nat 20 yet, but I've gotten close. I've gotten 18, I've gotten a 19, but with my dexterity being so high like it just Yeah, when it co- when you get something that's like 15 and above, you're set you know like you're you're good to go like whatever you want to do unless it's like something crazy you could pretty much do it in D D. right unless they like set the like the dc super high right <laughs> so that's pretty cool so you said you you've done yeah. a couple uh sittings yes which the my latest session was actually last night as of recording cool so um how many people are playing there's Five of us right now, maybe a sixth is on the way. Five including the Dungeon Master or five plus the Dungeon Master? Five plus the Dungeon Master. Okay, that's a good sized team. So Yeah, hopefully Yeah, it's been fun. Hopefully that keeps it's going. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah, we have we actually have uh two clerics, but they're like two different types of clerics from like different places, different domains. Do they clash or do they get along? No, they get along. So far, uh, we have a warlock. Part of the fun of all of this is when people get into the character, you know? Like, you yeah. build your character, you try to understand where they're yeah. coming from, their their level, their wealth, the you know their level of pompousness, their level of intelligence, and just play along with that, like roleplay that. It's super fun. Yeah, so that that's really what I've been up to playing D&D and... Well, you know, you know, just having a good time at conventions. D and D actually ties in really well with what we're going to be talking about today. Even though they haven't exactly. been playing it in these last two episodes that we're going to be talking about, it did kind of start off this huge issue a lot with with Eddie. Anyway, you know, he's introduced through the, right. as as the dungeon master for the Hellfire Club, which is pretty big. This is a great segue into the topic, which is going to be our part two to the Stranger Things. Yeah. It shouldn't be. You know, and it I, shouldn't be super long of a discussion, just because, you know, we've already talked about most of the season, but there are some huge things that we just haven't talked about yet, and it's been a couple of weeks. So, you know, I've I've done a little recap of it, and I'm super excited to talk about it. We start back with uh, Nancy. Remember, Vecna is in her mind. Yeah. So we're not really sure what's going on with Nancy because she hasn't had that clock issue prior to this you know like all, right. all the other victims of vecna 
have had that like four times and then Vecna comes and like takes them Max <laughs> <laughs> it's time yeah so the, the, we left it with a huge cliffhanger you know instead of Nancy going out of the upside down and back into the real world um, she kind of like goes into this mind trance where Vecna tells basically the entire story of like what's happening with uh, you know like who he is and right. what he plans to do with Eleven and he's like you better tell Eleven all of this it's a classic villain move right there. Classic. So yeah, it's a classic villain move, revealing everything that they're going to do, which, you know, really does lead to their downfall. And I know. So yeah, we, we find out in the first part that he is Henry, aka number one, and that Eleven put he is the reason why he's in the Shadow Realm, aka the Upside Down. Yeah, and what is really interesting about these couple episodes is they were following a couple storylines up until this point. You know, we have Hopper Joyce and Murray up in Russia. We have Will Byers and Mike and his brother and all these individuals driving to try and find Eleven. And then we have Eleven, who has been taken by Papa and um, I forget what the other guy's name, Dr. Brenner? No, Dr. Brenner is Papa. I forget who right. uh, who the other guy is. There's like the nice doctor and then there's Dr. Brenner. The, the good doc, bad doc. Good doc, bad doc. Yeah, for sure. And so you have a bunch of different individual storylines, but then you have what's happening in Hawkins. And, you know, finally Vecna like releases her and, you know, she, she they start going into all of this information, you know, like what's happening with Vecna and like what his plan is. And Max is basically detailing like, I wonder if, you know, four chimes means that there's four gates. And we've already determined that wherever, wherever Vecna takes the life of someone, uh, you know, pretzelfies them, he, <laughs> he opens up a portal into the upside down. So it's like, is there four different gates that he needs to open? and is Max the last one. So she's on the edge of her seat trying to figure out what to do with herself. I think I think my favorite one was, uh, you know, Watergate. <laughs> yeah, Watergate. Clever. <laughs> I was like, oh, gotta love Dustin. Gotta His love. Corniness. But yeah, so we see that, or we, we come to that realization that there's a gate that's set up at every single one of these kill sites. And... That's what Vecna is waiting for. He's waiting for all of these. Well, he's waiting to establish these four gates so that really his retribution comes into play. Yeah. And unbeknownst to all these individuals and Hawkins, all the kids, we have Eleven, who's actually in a sensory deprivation chamber in, um, I think they're in Nevada. Is that what, is that what was determined? It's almost like a Area 51 type. They're literally in the middle of nowhere in a pizza shop. And the century... Or, or, oh, no, 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 no. no. This is, I know you're talking about. This is when they're this back is, at the uh, the military base. When they're military base. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Nevada. It was Nevada. Okay. So, like Area 51-ish. Yeah, although area. they don't name it, it is kind of right, like what right. we would assume an Area 51 type base to look like. So Right, the setting looks like it too. It goes... You know, like a desert. Yeah, it harkens back to earlier in the show's history when, you know, she would enter a sensory deprivation tank and yeah. have, like, walking dreams of, you know, walking through people's minds. So she she sees what Max is saying and she realizes that her friends are in need of help. So she realizes she needs to get out of there quickly. And she's yeah. developed her powers again, but not to her their fullest extent, really. 
So she's right. She's just touched them a bit. Yeah. She's starting to like get to that point. Her powers aren't what they were when they, she last had them. Oh, so the the good cop is Doctor Owens, and the bad cop is Doctor Brenner. Although I don't think Doctor Brenner, we we figured this out in this episode, in episode eight, that Doctor Brenner isn't really a bad guy, or he doesn't think he's he doesn't he doesn't think of himself as a bad guy. He he does care for Eleven, but I think it's more about what he's invested into Eleven that he cares about. Maybe you know, like it's a it's right. a really twisted type of love that he doesn't want to let go of. Right, like the the thing is, is that it's so weird with him because you do see that he cares, but it's just so twisted that it still leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, you feel bad for him, but not for the reasons you would feel bad for a normal character. You know, like you feel you pity him because of the position that he's put himself and Eleven in. So he basically hijacks the resuscitation of her powers for himself. You know, he like. He imprisons Dr. Owens and basically hijacks the, the entire operation so that she doesn't leave because that's her plan. You know, like she wants to leave. Dr. Owens is like, if that's your choice, then that's your choice. But he's just like, nah. And he injects her with some sedative and she goes crazy. She, you know, she like telepathically like throws him against uh, that sensory deprivation chamber and, you know, almost kills him probably or wants to, but ends up passing out before that. Right, and she did warn him, <laughs> like, if you stop me, I'm going to take you out. Yeah. While all of this is happening, the army is basically, or whoever the the army dudes are in this, I forget their names, I forget even, like, what, are, are they CIA? I don't know. But they're, they're coming to get her because they believe that she is the reason all these deaths are happening. She, they believe that she's the cause of this, even though there's really no good reason to believe that when they have a perfectly good villain elsewhere but during all of this we have the group in the pizza truck we have argyle's pizza truck you know the the pizza bros or surfer bro pizza what is it called yeah i think it's called surfer bro pizza they're they're heading down and they're they're trying to figure out where the heck she is and they they you know they conscript Susie for help so that they can call her call the computer that is the number of whatever this place in nevada and they end up finding that location but on the way one of the most touching scenes for me happens on the way we have will byers who clearly has feelings for mike you know it's something that's unspoken it's unsaid but we know you know and you just feel bad because at this time in history it's just not something that's socially acceptable it's not something that is accepted and is, you know, allowed or applauded, whatever. So he's kind of like in a box of like who he is supposed to be and what he, what his relationship is with his best friend. You know, I feel terrible for him because obviously you see he is just eating himself away inside. But he, there's that really nice moment where he like, it's like a call to action moment where he shows the painting that he made for Mike. And, uh, you know, it really lifts Mike's spirits and he, you know, he says like, uh, Eleven needs you. Eleven will never stop caring for you. But really, I think he's talking about himself in that instant. And he's just using mm. Eleven. And it's just a tough, yeah. it's a tough scene because you you don't want him to hurt, I guess. I guess you could say. But Mike doesn't reciprocate that. Obviously, he's in love with Al. And there's that just terrible scene where he like cries, uh, you know, looking the other way. It's tough. Jonathan Byers notices this though. And it kind of like unlocks like this 
love for or like this not that he didn't love his brother but he was just kind of so caught up in his own thing that it kind of woke him up up in a sense that like his brother needs his help you know his brother needs him to be there yeah absolutely i I think that that was a call or like a wake-up call for uh jonathan to be the brother that he needed and it's uh it's interesting it's a if anything because they didn't really do too much with jonathan's character arc throughout the entire season that was a bit of a growth period for him in terms of his relationship with his brother. So I like that. They end up getting to the the military base. So the crew in the, the surfer the surfer bros pizza van, they kind of catch up to where Elle is. They find the tracks for the place that leads up to to where or they find the path where going up to where uh, Elle is, which is where Project Nina is. And so while there's that scuffle kind of going on inside between Eleven and Dr. Brenner, the military comes in and really just raids the place. And so while the army is really just like kind of throwing down on the MPs that are with the... Because, I mean, that's the military police that was actually inside. Yeah. That was inside the base, which gets you thinking like, okay, so this is military versus military? This is kind of crazy. Or is this like the military police that is like on a it's like a secret sect yeah like there's, a secret there's sector. clearly two different factions of this secret sect of the military you know we is it cia right. i don't i don't really remember but there is two clearly good guys and bad guys on this side of things but anyway dr brenner gets l out of there as soon as they the military starts like raiding and we actually have a really epic scene outside of the project nina where they have a helicopter in the sky uh, taking shots and they're trying to take out Dr. Brenner and then L. And they they do shoot Dr. Brenner down and he, you know, he eventually passes, but not before saying a few things. But they can't get L because she's using her powers to just bring the helicopter down. And it, it, it crashes down onto all four of their military vehicles, basically incapacitating them and stopping their, their tracks because there's no way they can right. catch up with the truck at that point. She she does it in true Star Killer fashion. Yes, that was that was a really cool scene. That was like it was really epic, and you know she's just screaming the entire time like ah. But um, she ends up going up to Doctor Brenner afterwards, and they have I don't know if it's a heart to heart, but it's definitely a heart from him to L. You know he's like explaining his actions and he apologizes and he just wants her to forgive him, but she doesn't say anything. I know it's. Yeah, because like I he said, didn't... he still just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I just, he had his reasonings and he was doing it from a place in his heart that he thought was good, but it was just still really crazy and corrupt in in a way. I mean, it's almost like Thanos. I mean, he, the reason why he justified what he did snapping away people was because he wanted the universe to be balanced and not there to be too many people out there, you know? He did whatever he wanted because he wanted to like unlock her true potential. Yeah, absolutely. And well, anyway, it was selfish in the end of the it day. It was selfish, but anyway, he he got what what came of it. And we never, we don't know if Eleven forgives him, but I think she understands him at that point. And there's like a moment where she's just like, you know, it's like a self resignation. Like, I'm not going to be mad at you anymore, but what else can I do? Cause you're dying. So yeah. anyway, they head out 
of there and they head towards Hawkins. They have to like book it to Hawkins because there's uh, a serious issue with, you know, everything that's going on down there, but there's no way that they can get there in time. So they end up going to a Surfer Bros pizza and, you know, like like you said, they used a cooler, like a large cooler, right. a lot of salt and just make themselves their own version of a sensory deprivation chamber, which is really cool of a concept, yeah. you know. At this point, we we can talk about what's happening with the the team down there because for the time being i think that's pretty much all that happens on that side of things right yeah so pretty much for the whole part of that that action sequence that's everything that's happening as far as action in hawkins they're they're at that surfer bros pizza they never make it to hawkins until after that happens we still have the crew up in russia and they reach out to somebody in Hawkins and they find out that all the stuff is happening in Hawkins. And so during their prison break, they find that, remember that, that shade or that shadow that was inside that containment yeah. unit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so that shadow in that containment unit they come up with the idea like, okay, if we if we can't make it to Hawkins right now, let's destroy this thing. They come up with a plan to head back to the to the prison where this this thing is to kill it to really help wound Vecna. You know, in some kind of way, they want to help the kids because they know that the kids. They're like, okay, we're not gonna make it to them, so we gotta do what we gotta do. So that's what their plan is, and Yuri is in charge of like their escape which is a helicopter yeah yuri has been kind of like dragged into their escape once again against his wishes but i think he's more compliant in these episodes just because he realizes what's at stake a little bit more and he well he kind of plays around too oh i'm sure yeah, yeah yeah remember like he he uh they get him to to fix a helicopter. Oh, and he didn't want to. He kept messing around with it. He that. didn't want to. He kept messing around with that until uh, Anton or Antov like kind of convinces him, like, you know, what you're this guy that was reputable in this war. Like, what happened to you? Like, you're like a shell of your former self. It kind of convinces him to to really do this. Yeah, absolutely. So they they actually, and I like that you brought that up. That the best thing that they can do is to wound the the upside down creatures by right. because it's, they they operate on a hive mind. You know, you wound one, and they all get it. They they all feel it, and uh, we've seen that right. Before. And they notice that with the vines that when they touch the vines, they know where they are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's definitely an interconnected yeah web throughout the upside down that also reaches over to russia so that's pretty cool so they go back and they kind of realize that oh crap all of these things have been let loose i think at this point we should jump over to what's happening in hawkins because we're we're coming to a point where once they wound it they weaken vecna and the the hawkins dudes can you know fix that up but they they the hawkins kids they do this they create this elaborate plan where some of them are going to go into the upside down and distract fecna while others are going to right. go in in the real world at the old mansion where he did his original killings and they're just going to draw him out and they have this huge plan a lot happens a lot goes wrong but a lot is really cool something that your wife posted kind of made me laugh that talked about season one nancy and that season one nancy really like she couldn't even swing a bat but then you got her in season four she's got like a she's she's got a sawed off like shotgun she yeah. 
does the actual sawing off and makes it into a sawed off shotgun. So she she really she she really like becomes like a really beast of a character character by the season. And they still have these kids that are going around looking for Eddie this whole time also. Yeah, the basketball dudes, the basketball bros. They're they're still hunting for Eddie and they're they're convinced that you know like he has brought this like satanic plague on the town you know even when given evidence otherwise you know like it's it's not this it's something else he's so blinded by the fact that chrissy is dead that he doesn't even give eddie munson a second chance so during the raid on vecna's mansion he ends up showing up with Max and Lucas in the room and Max just go, has just gone into a trance and it looks really terrible from anyone walking into that position like it's it looks like Lucas has done this to Max so right the the basketball dudes like he's got a gun in his hand he's like pointed it at Lucas and he's it's just a really a, a big brawl breaks out at the worst possible time yeah so the plan for the team in Hawkins is that they figured out that Vecna becomes weak when he's in somebody's mind. He goes into the house in the Upside Down and he gets to work. He's not hes not there. hes Since he's in the minds, he's not paying attention to what's happening. Yeah. So Max decides to become bait because she's like, you know, he had marked me. I still feel that he's kind of there. So let me be the one that he goes after. And then Robin, Steve, Nancy are the ones that go into the house. They're the ones that go into the house. Eddie and Dustin are in charge of distracting because the house is being pretty much guarded by the bats and the upside down. And so like everybody, they, they just come up with all these plans. I, it really was wholesome before that because everybody was in unison. Mm-hmm. Everybody had this common cause. And so everybody was really connecting, but it was also very dreary because it was, they knew the potential of any of them could die. And so it was wholesome and very just sad at the same time. Yeah. So what I, I, I think the most epic thing that happens in this scenario is the guitar solo that Eddie decides to throw uh, on top of his house in the Upside Down, where he's drawing as much, you know, attention away from Vecna and, you know, the other team as possible, where he starts playing Metallica's Master of Puppets, you know, in just literally the most epic way possible. And I don't know if you if you saw it, but like the actor who played Eddie Munson was invited by uh, Metallica, like on their tour to like, just have a, like a, a sit down and they hung out a little bit. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And I actually seen a breakdown video of an actual guitarist looking at um, the the actor, the way that he, he played Master of Puppets, and he was pretty accurate with his finger placements. Yeah. And when it came to the actual like guitar solo, you know, they kind of zoomed in. He It might have not been him that actually did it because, yeah. I mean, guitar solos are pretty hard. But the fact that he had, he had put in the work to actually learn to play the song really goes far to to that actor i mean he really did a great job in bringing that that character eddie munson to life and i mean to be honest he was my favorite character in the season uh he was very just like misunderstood and he deserved another season the people who yeah he definitely deserved yeah he he, he definitely de- deserved another season and i'm glad that there was at least people who knew him for him 
you know yeah it i think that's something tragic in any story would be anybody that goes down and nobody knew who that person actually was what's cool about uh, the the actor by the way is joseph quinn i didn't want to go without saying that yes well, he did a fantastic job with Eddie, but I like what you're saying because he definitely did have a redemption in the sense that he was kind of like a coward before. Like he, he kept running from all the problems that we had seen earlier in the season and he didn't want to be a hero. But when he needed to be, right. he was. That's what made his story well-rounded. And right, right. He, and he, he brings attention to that. But yeah, after that solo, uh, Dustin and Eddie kind of hold him off. And Eddie doesn't. So they go to Dustin and Eddie go to escape into the right side up uh, Hawkins. And Eddie makes the decision that it's probably not a good idea for them to leave right away because they could go back to the house right and so he sacrifices himself by continuing to distract these bats and he gets killed by them yeah it's it's pretty terrible i mean we kind of there's actually a scene in this episode that's even to me a bit more sadder than his actual death in regards to eddie yeah yeah I, i agree um we'll talk about that in a little bit but yeah so meanwhile vecna is in max's mind and we have her reliving memories of good times you know because he he automatically brings her to bad times but she in her own mind runs to the good times and he he, it, it kind of stumps him for a little bit but not for long because this guy's a master at like telepathy and all that so he ends up going ham with all that but in the meantime you know like he's about to take max out in her good memories and then 11 shows up because she can also walk through memories as well and man that was cool yeah that was cool uh yeah she max had ended up at one of the school dances but everything was empty and with 11 she was searching through the memories she found had a, a really early memory of max before she ended up in uh max's like actual memory where vecna was about to take her out and then we had like a really like cool star wars scene where they were using the force <laughs> yeah it definitely felt like star wars kind of kind of had uh some sequel energy vibes but yeah so eventually vecna does get max and technically he does kill her but and you know he does the whole pretzelfication thing in the real world yeah and she man blinds her too but um 11 doesn't allow that to happen you know like she stops she like kind of goes into her mind and tries to keep her alive so by the end of it max did sacrifice herself to vecna and he opened up a portal where he needed to but she didn't necessarily die because uh, Eleven basically saved her life. Yeah, because at first Eleven in that fight, she was doing pretty well. But then Vecna gets the upper hand. So she's kind of down. And Mike is pretty much trying to help like boost her up by speaking to her. And so, yeah, man, when when I saw Max starting to, to be uh, pretzelified, I was like, oh, dude, they're they going to do this? Are they going to kill her? They messed up. I was like, oh man, they killed, they said they killed my boy Eddie, now they're trying to kill her? Can't be killing too many people now. I know. Too many main characters. But yeah, so yeah, I thought it was crazy that Eleven was able to to kind of, you know, keep her alive, but she, I mean, she ends up in like a coma. Yeah, so in, in doing all of this, opening the four gates, basically they kind of connect, you know? Hawkins opens yeah. up, it's a big 
open wound basically into the upside down and that's kind of where our town is left but in so doing you know like we like some people die like we see the the basketball dude i forget his name the one that was attacking lucas get ripped in half yeah he gets like vaporized yeah like he gets like it when it rips open he gets ripped open and kind of vaporized in the same also like it's kind of crazy it's crazy that they call it an earthquake i'm like but that is not an earthquake you call that an earthquake that is opening up into something else yes yeah the the average viewer would be like well that is literally hell you know um <laughs> but anyway so i was like hey, for real i'm like dude our earthquake <laughs> i don't know many earthquakes that open up into the this gate of hell that i see right now yeah so that it, it's just it's craziness all around and actually I actually dislike this ending a little bit. It's not that I don't think it's cool and I don't think that they can make a cool story out of it, but I like the fact that it's almost that Stranger Things has been like small town problems up until this point. Yeah. Now it's the entire town is involved to the point where there's no looking past it. You know, it's not just like possible supernatural mm. occurrences. It's basically a gate to hell has been opened up in, in your town. I think my biggest problem with the season and i'm interested in seeing how they actually do this fifth season is that there was a sense of it was it almost felt like a final season the way that it was structured how the episodes were so long the fact that they're fighting they found out who this creature that was really doing all these things were it really felt like the final season of the show they really at to be honest, they could have ended the, the series on the season. They could have. They could have changed the ending and it could have been the final season. I don't know how they're going to continue it. I mean, they're going to continue it because Vecna kind of got what he wanted, but... And actually, we find Still. out we find out because they go back into Vecna's past when he first opened up uh, when when Eleven first threw him into the portal. He lived, you know, kind of like a weird, lonely life for a little bit up until the point where Will Byers was taken into the Upside Down, um, and that's when basically like he was given purpose and that's when he found the mind flayer and we always assumed that he was the mind flayer's five-star general but it turns out he's controlling the mind flayer and that's in that scene so he's actually the big bad of stranger things uh which we yeah. didn't know about until just these these two episodes so it'll be interesting seeing what they do with it but you're right they could have found a way to tie all this up because the way that it was structured it definitely felt like an ending but um i'm so curious especially with that la last episode being the length of a movie a long movie too it was two and a half hours Jeez. two and a half hours yeah like a feature length one could be like an hour they could have done like an hour and a half to two hours and that would be like a movie but yeah that's like an mcu movie right there yeah but anyway i i think that it was a really epic epic finale i think maybe like a nine out of ten for me i just i i kind of love the idea that it's like a it's like most of the town has no idea what's going on but now i think the whole town has to be involved in some capacity unless everyone right leaves. yeah but we'll see we'll see how that goes I did, so the scene that I was talking about was that I really liked the scene between Dustin and Eddie's uncle, and I'm going to be honest with you, like, it kind of, like, made me, like, tear up a little bit. Yeah. You feel bad for the uncle. Was because, 
I really do. And actually, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, his uncle's a good guy. Yeah. Because he maintained Eddie's innocence this whole time. He's like, dude, I don't care what you guys saying. That's not Eddie. This is not Eddie. And the way that Dustin, like, gives him this confirmation, there's some problems with that scene. But I do like that Dustin gives him this confirmation. Like, look, he was a good guy. And you're right. He was innocent. And if people knew who he was, they would have loved him. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And you just see him like tear up because, you know, obviously I'm assuming it's his only living relative first and foremost, but not only that, he cared for the kid. He didn't want to see him, you know, and now the whole town will never know that story. That's what made me sad, you know, in that moment. But I was glad that we had a scene like that and that the uncle really just wasn't on his own knowing that Eddie was innocent and knowing that Eddie was a good guy. I will say that, like, I would say my only problem would be that they didn't really give him an explanation about, like, what happened. They, they was like, yeah, you know, he, he, I was with him and, you know, he died, you know, being a hero, saving people. Like, most guardians would be like, okay, well. Uh, I need more information. Like, yeah. Uh, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, like what what happened where where is he where like where is his body where is he at yeah, you know that's true like what happened to him so i mean there there's a little bit of a a hole in there i think we're going to find that the next season we'll see characters that have died in the upside down come back um to you think so I think so, not but not as the characters that they were. They'll probably have the memories of the characters like Max's brother and um, Eddie and maybe Barb from the first season. I think they're probably going to come back in some capacity and be used as like pawns by Vecna. So it's mm. it'll be interesting seeing uh, the dynamic there, if that's even like what they're planning. Because I, I don't know. I have no idea what, what they're planning in that writer's room right now. Um, I know that they just started writing. I know they, they actually started working on it. So Yeah, they just started Well, they started... I think production, right? On the or working on it. Yeah, the on Twitter they had like a, a couple days ago. It was uh, they have an account called Stranger Writers. It's basically like the writers' room for Stranger Things. Sometimes they respond mm. to fan questions. They posted a picture of like a whiteboard with like Stranger Things season five in the corner. So it's clearly like they were about to start working on it. So mm. cool. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to get more Stranger Things. It's probably one of the best I like new IPs of the 2010s. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm happy we discussed it. What do you want to discuss next time? You want to go into the Matrix? Yes. Let's go into the Matrix. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to us here for episode 48 of Project Ecology. Next time, we are going to be covering The Matrix, the original movie from 1999 by the Wachowskis. So thank you so much for spending some time with us, learning about Supercon, learning about Dungeons and Dragons, talking about our hobbies in terms of Avatar The Last Airbender, and of course, our discussion of Stranger Things. If you enjoyed it and you want to talk to us more, you can always leave a comment on uh, whatever podcast app you listen to, leave a good review, and follow us on Twitter at Peak Ecology and Instagram at Project Geekology. Thanks, guys. Thank you all. Have a good one.